with that, I have a little thing, a sermon that the Lord, and I'm scared to death to teach it, actually. This is one of those times where it's something that I haven't gone through in my life yet, and I'm scared to death about because, it, you know, statistics show that I probably will go through it. And um, I really want to be an encouragement to you guys, but I really ask that you guys listen to what the, what the Word of God has to say and uh, what He wants to speak, and, and not to look at me as like, what does that guy know? He hasn't been through that. And what we're going to be talking about this morning, and you guys might know it differently, but we're going to be talking about the parable of the loving father in Luke 15. A lot of people know it as the parable of the prodigal son, right? So this take, I really want to encourage you guys. Um, it's been heavy on my heart. In the last month, I've seen some of you have to go through this. Your heart's just being broken uh, from children walking away from the Lord, you know, raising them as they were supposed to be raised and, and doing everything, you know, right on with what God had asked you to do. And, and now your, your children have chosen to walk away from him. Um, and, you know, it, it, hearing you guys have to go through, I mean, brought me to sorrow because I'm just like, I, I wish my girls would just stop, you know. <laughs> You're done growing, we tell them. You, no, you don't have a birthday as soon as you hit this, you know, whatever age they're at. And I'm like, that's it. No more birthdays, okay? Um, and it is one of those things that we just have to let over to, to God's hand. And you guys have been very encouraging to me. Uh, those of you that I've spoken to that have had kids walk away and, and getting to encourage me and show me some things that I even right now, while I still have my children in the house, things that I can do with them. And I really appreciate you guys doing that. And I'd really like to return the favor. And, and really, the Lord's just been pressing on my heart um, to encourage you guys through these scriptures. And so really, look what the scriptures say. I don't have any personal insight on it, but... It's been awesome what God's taken me through in this study, so I really hope you guys are encouraged. I want to share a story with you first. Uh, one of the, my favorite missionaries, um, and I don't know if you guys have gone into looking at missionaries' lives or, or read books on them. There are some awesome stories out there and what God has done with some men's and women's lives. Neat, neat stories, super encouraging. I mean, some of them are like, okay, Lord, send me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I want to see you work in my life like that. Well, this young man, um, you guys might know of him. He's one of the more popular ones. His name was Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor, let me just tell you a little story. This is one from one of his biographies. It says, uh, Taylor was born in a Christian home. His father was a chemist and a local Methodist preacher who himself was fascinated by China in his youth. Once at age four, Hudson piped up went and said, When I am a man, I mean to be a missionary and go to China. Father's faith and mother's prayers meant much. Before he was born, they had prayed about him going to China someday. However, soon young Taylor became a skeptic, skeptical and worldly young man. He decided to live for this life only. At 15, he entered a local bank and worked as a junior clerk where, being well-adjusted and happy, he was a popular teen. Worldly friends helped him scoff and swear. Uh, the gaslight and the murk of the winter left his eyes weak and the rest of his life, and that's just like, that's the old school way of getting out and going and partying with his buddies. That's how they used to say it. <laughs> the gaslight and the murk. Uh, he left the bank in 1848 to work at his father's shop. His conversation is an amazing story when he was, or his conversion, sorry, it was an amazing story. When he was 17 years of age, he went into his father's library one afternoon in June, 1849, in search of a book to read. This was a, uh, in a barn or a warehouse adjacent to the house. Finally, he picked up a gospel track entitled, It Is Finished, and decided to read the story on the front. He came upon the expression, the finished work of Christ. Remembering the words, it is finished, he raised the question, what was finished? The answer seemed to fall in place, and he received Christ as a Savior. The same afternoon in time, his mother was visiting some 75 miles away, Experiencing an intense yearning for the conversion of her son, she turned the key in the door and resolved to not leave the spot until her prayers were answered. Hours later, she left with assurance. She returned ten days later and was met at the door by her son, who said he had good news for her. She said, I know, my boy. I have been rejoicing for the fortnight and glad tidings you have to tell me. Mother Taylor had learned of the incident not from no human source, but God had assured her. What a cool story, huh? And here's what Hudson Taylor, if you guys don't know anything about him, he was one of the most widely used missionaries in China's history. During his 51 years of service there, his China Inland Mission established 20 mission stations, brought 849 missionaries to the field. By 1911, there was 968. That was after 
trained some 700 Chinese workers, raised $4 million by faith. That's a lot of money back then. <laughs> and developed a witnessing Chinese church of 125,000. It has been said that at least 35,000 were his own converts and that he baptized some 50,000. His gift for inspiring people to give themselves and their possessions to Christ was amazing. Awesome story. And one of those stories you're like, please, God, <laughs> I want to go in that same room with you, and I want to lock that door, and I want that assurance that, you know, you're going to do this with my children because I am scared to death of them. I'm scared to death of the world they're going to be walking out into, and, and uh, you know, it's just one of those things you're like, Lord, you got to take hold of them and really giving them your children and saying, here you go. So let's just pray real quick. Lord, I just thank you so much for just blessing us with the different stories that you have of different men that you've worked in their lives. I know there's so many people in here that maybe they were the the wayward child that walked away, and now look at how awesome it is in their life and how they love you, and they're bringing up their own family under you, Lord. And so just this morning as we speak about this, and, and Lord, I ask that you just touch people's hearts, give them the encouragement they've been seeking. Um, Lord, those that have been praying for assurance that you would give them that. Lord, there would be awesome miracles with our children that you would work out. Awesome stories just like Hudson Taylor about their lives turning around and just being a huge impact for you, Lord. We know your ways are perfect. We know that everything that you're going to take our children through is absolutely perfect, and we know you're the one that's in control, Lord. And we just ask that they would just follow you and seek after you, not turn away from you, Lord. And if they do, that you would continue just to pour out the mercy and teach us to do the same. Lord, that we'd have grace over our children and we'd pray for them continually, Lord. So I just ask that you just speak to, to us this morning as we go through this awesome parable that you gave and uh, that we learn from your scriptures, Lord. And it's your name I pray. Amen. So, not to give you any hopelessness, but here are two studies that were conducted both by Barna Group and the U.S. Today. Okay? They found that nearly 75% of Christian young people fall away from faith and leave church after high school. 75%. I mean, that's true. I bet everybody in here, at least either your brother or sister has fallen away or one of your children has already fallen away. And it's a scary thing, especially now as the world gets worse and worse. I mean, it even tells us in the end times that what's going to happen is that our own kids are going to report us, right? It's going to be a hard time, but I don't want you guys to lose hopelessness and, and come to a place where I was at for a little while of this absolute fear of not wanting to see my children raised because I don't want to see them go and learn the hard lessons in life, you know? But I do want to see them grow across the Lord, so whatever he's got to do with them whatever they have to go through so that they can actually depend on him and not depend on him through me. You know, let, let the Lord, let him have them. Now, the article, this was interesting because the article I read on as I, I went through it, and, and this article really wanted to put blame on a lot of different things and why the kids had turned out this way, why they'd gone this way. And there's a lot of times I know that even in your guys' lives, there's been people that come along and put blame on you, on their circumstances, on you not doing enough, and even the enemy, I'm sure, has come to you and spoken and said, it's your fault where they're at. Lies, guys, absolute lies. And we're going to get into that, but some of the things that it's absolutely not, not the problem, this is not the problem, this is not the real problem that's going on with them. It's not that they had enough church, it's not that they didn't have enough prayer from us, it's not that they didn't have enough Bible. It's not the temptation through their friends, and it's not the things of this world that have messed up our children. It's not the sex, the laziness, the crime, the cussing, the homosexuality. That's not what it is. Those are all byproducts, aren't they? Sometimes we'll just hit those and we'll focus on those points and say, yes, there's the real problem. That's the one that I need to address. But the real absolute problem with our kids is that their hearts have turned away from Christ. Their hearts have turned away from Christ. And when we focus on that and we get to see that it's their heart, then we can be more pointed in our prayers and the focus that needs to happen because we have to show them Jesus. That's where we have to go to. And all these things will be solved out of it because as soon as they fall in love with Jesus again and they see him clearly, of course they're going to desert the things of this world just like we did. The same way that we did. You guys have awesome testimony. I've talked with you guys. There are some neat things the Lord's done in your life and as soon as you know Jesus, you're like, this is no good for me anymore. I no longer want this. Your kids will be in the same spot. It's just how do we get there and how do we encourage them? You know, this rejection of Christ as a child or a young adult or even an adult has become a broken heart to us as parents and to you guys as parents. I understand. There's break in your hearts and what happened, happened to watch what your kids are going through. Many parents, like I said, will take it personal. And what happens is that out of this personal, they, they become angry and they become bitter. 
whether towards the kid or to the surroundings around them, to the church, whatever will happen, there's a focus that starts happening that's not healthy. And we have to remember, and you guys that have had to go through this, it's not a personal thing that your kids are doing to you. It might seem like it. Because <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you? I taught you all these ways, and you're going to desert what I've taught you? And you have to remember, it's not a personal thing. As one pastor mentioned as I was reading along, and, and I couldn't grab his name, but he said this, his quote, he says, you are collateral damage, a casualty of war. That's comforting. I mean, it's a sad thought, but it's comforting because they're not directly going and trying to attack you and what you grew them up and trained them up to be like. The wayward child is seeking their own, and they're holding on to the lies of Satan, and they're rejecting Jesus and his way. That's where it is. You're just the one of the ones that's on the side because you're the one that was responsible for teaching them those ways, but they're rejecting Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. They're rejecting his ways. So don't become weary and depressed, wishing you had done more when they're younger. You know, your, your son or your daughter, they still have their own wills, don't they? And that's what it comes down to. They have their own decisions that they get to make on their own. There have been lots of godly parents who have had children reject training that they received. You guys know, and one of the fam most famous stories is the high priest Eli, right? That guy had some horrible kids. I mean, just doing horrible things at the temple, robbing the people of the best meat when they'd bring them into the temple. They're, they were sleeping with the women that were supposed to be serving the temple or the tabernacle. You see all this in 1 Samuel 2, 12 is where it talks about it. But these two sons being raised by this godly man, and here they are completely the opposite. Another one is that Eli, we know that Samuel comes on, or Eli's guidance, right? Samuel gets raised up, but then even Samuel has kids that turn away from God. Samuel was an awesome prophet of God. He was an awesome judge of Israel. And yet he has two kids that end up, they go out and they start judging and, and being over different people and they start robbing them of the money. It's like, what? This guy's so godly. How can he have you know, these kids that are like that? Another one, and one of the worst, you know, you're going through it and you don't realize how bad David's children were. I mean, they were, I, I don't think anybody has the same story as David has in here. David had such a bad one where his son raped his own sister. And then the other son was upset about that, so he killed that son. And then that son thought he had a lot of power, so he went and tried to take the kingdom from his dad. You guys had that happen with any of your kids? <laughs> I hope it never happens. <laughs> what a horrible story that this guy, and we know, what would you say about David? A man after what? God's own heart. A place that we would love to have that said about us. And yet he has these awful children that totally walk away from him. And then Jotham, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's story after story of these awesome men of God, and then their children completely walk away. You know, there's even one, uh, uh, there's, there's these couple children, they absolutely had the most perfect father you could ever have. And I mean, this guy was so perfect that he only gave him one rule. Every kid would love that, right? Like one rule, don't break this one rule. That'd be an awesome parent to have. But still, they went against God their father. Adam and Eve went against their perfect father. And so to put yourself in that blame, you guys need to take yourself out of there. It's not your fault. Now you can go back and you can go through everything and what I should have done, how I should have acted this way. Maybe I blew up. Yeah, I'm sure there's things in the life that we're not perfect. Of course, that's how we are. But even with God and we look at him and he was absolute perfect and he only had one rule for them and they still broke that and walked away from him. It's because every person has their own will. They have their own place that they can go and decide they want to go. They can all walk away from Jesus. And so please take your guys out of that, play, that, that situation that you're in, and that despair, that bitterness, or wherever you're at, thinking that you have this guilt on you. Don't let the enemy do that to you. There's no condemnation, right? That's what he tells us. And so make sure that you guys don't fall into that trap and mold over and try to figure it out because now... The point of it is not to focus on what could have been done, but how can I react now? What can I do for my child now as they're figuring things out? How can I continue to point them back to Jesus Christ that they'll return someday and I'm going to have this joyous celebration. We're going to go kill a big old cow and eat it. You know, <laughs> We'll get into that story in just a second. but It's just an awesome thing to see when they come back, but it's such a hard process and heartbreaking to watch them have to go through those things. So how do we deal with these wayward children? Um, I've tried to narrow it down. I came up with three main points that we can focus on in dealing with the heartbreak and what we have to go through, and there are so many more. 
I mean, there's a, you could come up with a bunch of different things. There's, there's uh, a great one I'll, I'll refer to at the end uh, that you guys can go check out online. I think it's a really good, um, it's 12 Ways to Love Your Wayward Child. It's a neat one, and I encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, I, I think it's a lot of uh, opinion in, in different things, but I think it's good opinion. There really isn't any verses to back it up, and that's why I didn't want to read it. But these three that I came up with, and, and just this is from studying different people that they were wayward children. Um, this is from parents that had them. These are from pastors that had kids walk away. So I really went and researched to see what was going on and, and just the heartbreak that you get to see out of it. And also to prepare us as young parents like me that have not crossed that line yet, that we haven't had to send our children out or had to deal with their rebellious ways um, in those extremes. So here's the three points to how, how to deal with our heartbreak, how to deal with those wayward children. The first one is that our testimony, our testimony. Do we live what we preach? Do we live what we preach? The second one is our hope. Do we trust what our Father, our Heavenly Father, has promised us? That hope. The last one is God's grace. Can we give grace without the lecture? (laughs) Can we give grace without the lecture? So let's go ahead and let's look over at Luke 15. This will be our text this morning we're going to be going out of. Luke 15, 11 through 22. And we'll go ahead and read the whole story, and then we'll go back and go over the verses and see what God has to speak to us. And I mean, I hope it's encouraging you guys. It was awesome. So starting in verse 11, chapter 15 of Luke, it says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them to his father said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, or worthless, wasteful living. Verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and began to be a want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell and on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here to kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this is my son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came to drew near to the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe, sound, safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment. At any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as a son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that you should make it is right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. What was lost and is found. It's just an awesome story of getting to see this guy come back and his father and how he received him. And the reason that I wanted to focus more on the father here, I know, you know, you can go through and there's awesome things in here about the prodigal son, you know, and even putting ourselves in that place. And maybe the Lord will speak that as we go through this morning and just how you need to turn back to your loving father, because this is such a great example of what God is for us. And before I get into what we're going to talk about, I just found an awesome point. I hope this gives you guys encouragement. But in verse 12, if you notice that when he goes to his father first, he says, give me, right? 
He's going there, give me. Like when we go to our father, give me this, give me this. I'm your son, you better give me this. But then you look up in verse 19 and he says that I'm going to go back and talk to him and here's what I'm going to say. He says, and I am no longer worthy to be called your your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. They give me and then he turns to make me into one of the servants. And just an awesome place that we get with God where we go before him and say, make me a servant. But there's a big process you sometimes have to go through. So just wanted to put that out there before we get into more of the focus on what the father was and how to deal with our wayward children. So happy ending to a heartbreaking story is for sure what this one is about. And I'm sure that many of you with wayward children have gone through this text many times looking for encouragement. I mean, this has got to be definitely the scripture that, you know, if you've had a child walk away from the Lord, this is where you go all the time just to look for that encouragement and and to get it. So I understand you guys have diligently searched through the scriptures. You guys have gone through this. And I just pray that God will continue to establish you guys, continue to encourage you guys, and maybe to give you new approaches in how to deal with your children. So there's a lot to be found, especially in the end of this. So the first one, that first point, is the, the way that we deal with this heartbreak is our testimony. Now this begins before even our children are sent out or even before they start rebelling, right? This is one of those things that we look at, and, you know, we as we, uh, young parents, we like to hold the scriptures like Proverbs 22.6. In Proverbs 22.6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, right? I, yeah, you guys have heard that verse, right? I'm guessing. It's one of those ones that a lot of people have heard about, and, and as we go through, and, and as young parents, it's one of those verses that we really hold on to and seek after and want to grasp and say, okay, Lord, here's a promise, and I know if I train them up, that when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. And it's one of those things that they still have that choice. And then another verse is in Deuteronomy 6-7. Deuteronomy 6-7. shall teach them diligently to your children, and this is talking about the scriptures, and it shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Great encouragement to us. This is one of those things that you're always continually just talking to them about Jesus Christ. You're going through the scriptures with them. And it's another one of those ones that we follow after. Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Right? That one we're like, okay, come here, kid. I got I to gotta read you a scripture before we go through with this. <laughs> so you know I'm doing what God asked me to do. <laughs> another one, the same, same context is in Proverbs 29, 15. Um, the rod of reproof give, gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Um, you know, and just showing that there has to be discipline. And that's one of those things that young parents, I mean, we're so much like, even some of us maybe too far, but getting that discipline and, and, and knowing that, okay, I want my kids, I want people to say that they're good children when they have them over or when they're at church. And, and then you get a gleam from that because there's so much glory in it, you know, I guess. <laughs> I am a great parent, you know. And it's unfortunate that you set yourself up so that when your child does something wrong, all of a sudden there's this shame that comes into your life because you set yourself up as if you have some kind of control. And there isn't. What's going on in the scriptures is he just asking you to follow along with what he's asked you to do. There's just requirements as parents. This is how we work as parents. This is what we do as parents. But the control is in God's hands. And the ultimate decision is in our child's hands on whether they want to go with him or not. Sometimes we put that all in our own box and we say, no, I have all that. I have my child's will and I have everything that's going to happen with them and, and I'm going to make sure it happens, whether I have to use the rod or whatever else, you know. Drag them behind the car. <laughs> These are great verses that we should maintain. Um, and and they're, they're, they're awesome scriptures. They really are. These are things and there's so many more in Proverbs and I know you guys know about them. But another one that is so important for us, and I think this one really, really is one of those parts in, in our lives that we kind of forsake. We, we really don't hold on to, and that's how our testimony is with our children. Our kids are watching us all the time, all the time. They want to see how we react to everything. So they want to see how our life is lived out. They want to see our faith in action. I mean, if you talk about Jesus' faith all the time, well, if something big happens in your life, like you lose your job, how does dad react to that? Did he go swear up and down about how stupid his old boss was and, and, you know, throw a temper tantrum about it? When at the same time, if the kid ever threw a temper tantrum, here comes the rod. You know, and, and, and you're getting to see these two things, and the kid sees this. They're smart, believe me. Or do they hear us from our lips? Do they hear us praise God? Or what actually comes from our lips when they're, we're behind closed doors? 
You know, it's one of those things like, like the Christmas story. They want to know where he learned the bad word, right? And he blames it on his poor friend, and you get to hear the rod being acted out over the phone. <laughs> when it was his dad the whole time, that's where he learned the bad word from. And it's just being careful. What, what comes out of our mouth? What things come out of our mouth in front of our children? You better not swear. You better not say these things. You better not talk about that thing. But yet, here's dad talking about all that stuff. Here's dad getting upset and yelling and saying all these words that he tells me not to. Do they have the same comfort and security that our Heavenly Father gives us? Is there a comfort and security that we give our children that they feel safe? Or is it something where they're always flinching or, or they're scared to death they're going to be in trouble, so they'll lie and do whatever they have to do so they don't get in trouble? They don't really care about why they need to tell the truth. They're just like, I'm not going to get in trouble, so I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. <laughs> have we trained our kids that that's the way it is? You know, is it, Do we have a, that comfort, that security that we need to provide for them? And do they feel the love through our touch and our praise of them? That's a hard thing I know for some of us guys because we're not very touchy people. You know, I was raised in a house, we just didn't do that. You know, like I can, re I think, count on one hand how many times my dad's hugged me. Not that I'm bitter or anything for it, it's just that we didn't do that. It was one of our households. And there are different households where I go over to my friend's house and, you know, he, he, he's, you know, kissing his mom and, and there's something I would never do because it wasn't in our house, it was foreign. And it was cool to see that, but just seeing that, okay, where in your life are, how are you dealing with your children? Do they have that touch? Do they have that love? Are you actually physically going up and hugging them? Are you putting your hand on them? You know, that is a very important thing. Are we praising them for what they're doing? Are we praising them for all the awesome things? Or do we have such high standards that because they're never getting to them, we're always talking about what they should have done or how they could have done it better? You know, where is the focus in it? And we teach all these things, and we say all these things, this is how you're supposed to act with other people and all this, but yet in, the, in our own home, is it really happening that way? So there's this testimony that goes out of, yeah, my, my dad believes in Jesus, does he follow him? I mean, what's the kid going to say? Yeah, sometimes, you know, and it really comes to checking our own lives. And not that they see, uh, not only do they see Christ in us, that's popping a lot, isn't it? Bring it down just a little bit. Not only do they see Christ in you through how you deal with them, but also they see how you guys deal with other people. You know, how do you guys treat those that are over you? Or how do you guys treat those that are under you? When you come home at the dinner table, what is the topic? How stupid the idiots were you were working with that day? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of those things that I've sat down at people's homes and, and their fathers come home and that's all they say is they go off about all these people they have to work with and they wish they never had to work with them and then Let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this meal. <laughs> I was like, why don't you ask him to bless your tongue? Do you live out, do you love those people in the church, or is it after church you go out there and you talk about, can you believe what that person was wearing? Seriously, you're going to go to church looking like a banana? I hope nobody's wearing yellow this morning. Okay, good. <laughs> Full on yellow, yellow everything, okay? You know, just, just wondering and then just having that conversation where it's not uplifting. You remember your kids are sitting in the back seat as you and your wife go off about how everybody looks and, and what you thought of them that, that Sunday morning? Be careful because there's so many things that we want to teach our kids and we want to live out and we want to show them this is what Christ looks like. And then we see ourselves falling away and looking like something completely different that we're asking them to live up to. And that testimony is so important. We point them to Christ remembering that it's their heart that needs repaired, and only God can do that. And that goes for those wayward children, too, that are coming back into the home. I mean, I think back on, because on, in my own life, I was ready to go out and be that, that prodigal son. I was ready. I was moving out of the home to go to San Diego to go get involved in the punk rock scene out there and try every drug there was and go sleep around so that I could have God come and save me. That was my plan. My parents thought I was going to go out there and get a sweet job. It was, you know, I had all this thing listed up. I didn't ever tell them, of course, what was going to happen, but I wanted to go do it. And thank the Lord that he rescued me from that, and he took me through some scripture because my parents had shown me how important scripture was. My mom had always beaten into me. I wasn't allowed to listen to very much secular music, so I did have some Christian bands I really enjoyed, and, and there was this great punk rock band that really, and you guys might think, like, yeah, punk rock's evil no matter if it's Christian or not. This band was so awesome, they, they, they taught the Word of God in their songs, and there was one song that it came to, and as I was going through James at the same time, and boom, the Lord just brought me right back out of it. And it was because of the things that my t parents had taken me through, but it was a point in my life where I came to, and I, I, I honestly I thought, okay, here's the time in my life where I decide whether he's my parents' God, 
for he's my God. And that was the turning point. It was a cool thing, and I'm so thankful that God didn't allow me to go through all those other things. But I'm looking at that, and I see that there was a heart issue. There was something that needed to change in my heart. I had to have him change it. And the thing is, when it's a heart issue, I guarantee you guys are not going to be able to change it. Your kids, you're not going to be able to change their heart because there's only one that can do that, right? God is the only one that speaks about being able to change somebody's heart. And that's why we have to go to him. It's, it's not something that we can do, but we can have an involvement in it. We can have something to do with it. That's what he's asked us to do. But remembering not going in there and trying to change everything and trying to get them to wear different things, trying to act a different way, trying to, you know, all the requirements that we think we got to impose on them rather than just looking and saying, you know what, they've made their own decisions. And just like this father here, if you notice in that part of scripture there in verse 12, it says, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them in his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. This guy said, here, I'm going to let you go. This father did. We know our children, when they're going to leave, we know if we give them all, like a lot of the money and a lot of inheritance, we know what kind of character, whether they're going to go set up a church and do awesome, you know, lovely things with this inheritance, or they're going to go waste it off like what later the brother says he went and wasted it on harlots. The dad knew, but he had to let his son go. There's that point of just having to let him go so that they can go and deal with the relationship with the Lord. They can make that choice. It's a very hard thing, and I do not look forward to it at all in my own life. But I know that I'll do everything that I can before it comes to that point to show them Jesus, and not just show them Jesus, but I want them to understand that they've got to have that personal relationship with him, that it, I'm not some venue or some avenue that they can go through to get that. And so as I'm raising up them, I want them to focus on, I want to ask them, how is your relationship with Jesus today? How was it this week? How, you know, talk to them to get them to understand that it's between them and Jesus. It's not between them, me, and Jesus. And getting to see this father where he had to let them go, he gave it to him as he asked for it. He knows it's going to probably just be destroyed. But the father gives it to him and lets him go off and do as he will and lets him have his own will. And he blows everything that he has. <laughs> And it's a sad thing to the father, because if you look at what's going on here, usually the inheritance wasn't given until the father was, gonna, was dead, right? That's usually when an inheritance is given. It was okay back at this time to go ahead and take the inheritance before the person was dead, but it was kind of a slap to the face. So you have two things. You have this boy coming and asking his father for his inheritance, and then you have him moving far away. To me, this says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure there's been people in here in this room that have heard that from their children, and I'm sorry you guys ever had to hear that. But having that son come and say that, and yet the father still was like, here you go. I got to let him go. And what a hard move to do, but we get to see what happens in the end. And just getting to see that testimony that the father had, this kid didn't feel like he was in a cage. He was let go. His father knew that's what needed to happen, and we get to see our heavenly father do that, like, okay, you got your own free will. I hope you turn back to me, but here you go. Take it. And so then he goes off in verse 13 and 14. It says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal, prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, he arose, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And right there, it's one of those times that you're just like, you know it's going to happen. And that's the thing we can take comfort in because we know that every single time, and even in our own lives we've seen it, that as you seek after self, destruction follows soon after. And you know that your kids are going to come to that point. It's a hard thing to have to watch them go to that and how they destroy themselves as they get there. But it's one of those things that you know as soon as they hit bottom and they come, like in verse 17 where it says, but then he came to himself. You know when they come to that point, finally come to themselves and say, you know what, this is not right. What are they going to turn back to? And that, again, is where that testimony comes in, and it's so key to our lives and our lives with our children because as soon as they come to the end of their selves, they're going to start asking questions. And they're either going to have this solid foundation that they left, they, not only that they left, but they still have in you guys. Are they going to come back to that? But if it's the person that's ashamed of them and wants nothing to do with them, how often are they going to come back to that? There was a great story between these two men, and they're, they're at the same church. One of them was a pastor, and one of them was just uh, one of the congregation. The guy in the congregation, what ended up happening is his uh, 17-year-old daughter came to him, 
he was reading his magazine or his newspaper in the living room, and his daughter sat down really hard in the seat before him. And he could hear a little bit of sniffling, and he looks up, and her eyes are just beat red, and she'd been sobbing. And so he said, you know, puts his newspaper down, and he says, what, 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 what's wrong? Dad, I, Mom told me i got to come and tell you myself. And I've done something awful. And he's like, well, I don't know if it's that awful. I mean, what, what can you really do? And she goes, I'm pregnant. And he stood up, was super angry, let her have it, told her all about how wrong she was and how disappointing she was to him, the shame that he, she had brought on him. Can you believe what other people are going to say about me? And on and on, just bringing this girl lower and lower and lower and told her, you get your stuff and you get out of my house right now because you have no place in this home if you don't want to follow my rules. And then you have the other guy, the pastor, and his daughter comes up to him and, and says, Father, I, I need to admit something to you and I need to ask for your forgiveness. She's 16 years old and she says, I'm pregnant. And he takes his daughter and he grabs a hold of her and he says, don't worry. We're going to get through this. I absolutely don't approve of what you've done, but you are my daughter and I love you to death. And we're going to get through this. And whatever needs to happen, and she says, Daddy, but what, what is the church going to say? <laughs> what are those people going to say about you? And I don't care. If they need to fire me or whatever they have to do, but you're my daughter and that comes first. And we're going to walk through this together. And completely different things. Now, who do you think is still walking with Christ after that? Here's a girl that's just been shamed and, and has no hope anymore and, and has this, this sad life now because she's been completely rejected. And then you have the other daughter that, yes, what she did was wrong, and the father made it very clear that it was wrong. But he was there, and he poured out his grace on that child. That testimony that's given where that daughter, of course, anytime, you guys can be guaranteed that anything else that came up in her life, she would go right back to her daddy because he already poured out that grace and showed her. Just to encourage you guys, as you're going through that time with your wayward child, pour out that on them. Have, remain in that good testimony with them. Don't get trapped into these different things that you need to, you know, i got to say this to them because it's so heavy on my mind. Guess what? Your, your kid, they know how you feel. I mean, you raised them, so they know exactly what you think of their lifestyle. They know it. You don't need to beat it into them every time they come for a visit. It's not one of those things that is needed there. It, what they need is that love and that grace poured out on them. And I know it's, it's something to say that up here, and it's hard to live through it. I mean, it's one of those things that hopefully I'll be able to return to this and be like, Lord, give me what you gave me that day so that I can get through these hard times. But be encouraged, you guys, and maintain that closeness with Christ so that your kids will see that and you'll have that awesome testimony with them. In verse 17, a little bit more there, I love this verse. It says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of the father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? That kid knowing exactly the good of his father, right? He returns right back to that. He sees how good his father is because he treats his servants so well. And he comes to himself, which is to say that he understood, which means he didn't know himself. You know, how, how much of the world is telling our kids out there that, hey, you need to try all these things so you can really know who you are? What a bunch of junk. What a bunch of junk. You are not going to know who you are until you die to yourself and you have Jesus Christ come in there and then you will know who you are in him. That's what Paul says over and over, right? Just an awesome thing. And so he, this kid, he comes to himself and he's ready to go back and he knows how good his father is. The father's goodness brought him back. He didn't seek his son as the shepherd did. And if you guys, these parables, these two other parables of lost things right before this one, one is the, the lost sheep, where he says, you know, if you guys had 100 and one's missing, who would not go look for it? Then the woman that's looking around her whole house for the coin that she lost. These are two lost things, but the thing is, is that with this father, his goodness is the one that brought the kid back. He didn't go seek after his son as the shepherd did, and he didn't go and look around the house and seek after him like the woman did with, with the coin. It's interesting because this other parable comes along and says that he waited. He waited there with that hope. In Romans 2.4, I think, is an awesome verse just to, to show that example. You have that one, Brandon? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's a great verse to hold on to there because one of the things is, is that you look at that and you get to see the goodness of God, that's what's going to lead a person to repentance. The person that goes out and seeks after the world, does the things of the world, gets involved in the world, and tries to find themselves in the world, 
they're not ever going to know goodness because self-seeking never brings goodness, does it? It's a lie. They will come back and they will see the goodness of God. And that verse right there, it's a promise that says it's going to lead them to repentance. And they're going to see that through you guys. Now the second point. The second point to dealing with our heartbreak is our hope. And you see in verse 20, he says, and then, you know, as the kid comes home, he, he decides what he's going to tell his father in verses 18 and 19, and then 20 he comes and he says, and he arose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. It's such an awesome reunion because you see, here's the father and he's seeking after his son's return. Because it wasn't just by coincidence, I'm sure, that he was out there the same day and like, oh, there's my, my kid coming to me. You know that he was just looking. You know that he had that hope of his, of his son returning back home to him. He has the hope that he will be made alive and be found. How many of you guys have lost hope with your own children? You can't go there. You can't go there because you think of all these awesome testimonies of people giving you of, of the lifestyles that they were in and, and the things they were involved in. And, and then you get to hear about them coming to Jesus Christ. You guys, nobody is too far away from him, are they? Even your own children. Don't ever lose that hope and don't ever fall into that place of despair. You know, your child will be alive and it will be found, made alive again. I believe this is where prayer comes in. Prayer is such a huge thing. It's one of those things that we don't actually physically touch, but we definitely go into battle over. If you take prayer seriously, you definitely go into a battle. I love that example of what Hudson Taylor's mom did. You know, she goes into that room, click, I'm not coming out of here until you give me an answer, God. What a cool lady, huh? And there's, there's many examples of other women that have just sat before the father and said, I want my kid to follow after you, and I'm not leaving this spot until you do. You confirm it. <laughs> so neat. And I love the women that they're able to just, you know, go in there and, and God, give me some promises. Give me something to hope in. Matthew 19, 13 through 15. This is what we need to do as parents. This is something that we need to do as parents. We need to take them. It says, Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. That's what we need to do is follow after these parents' examples where we take them before Jesus so that Jesus can intercede for them. Take them to Jesus, guys. So he can intercede for them and he can touch them. These parents are such great examples, weren't they? And they didn't care what the disciples, the disciples are like, whoa, what are you doing here? This isn't Santa Claus, you can't sit on his lap. <laughs> They're bringing him to him and saying, please bless my child. And that's what we get to do as parents, and I hope you guys are the same. Then we bring our children to Jesus that he might intercede for them and he'd touch them. Our, cho- our children know about how we feel about them. They know we love them and everything. They know we're against their sin. They know exactly where we stand. But it's something that we don't need to remind them of every single time that they're near us. Now, I would say this, that it's important to acknowledge that there is a wrong. Don't be the parent that when you come together with your wayward child that it's, okay, there's an elephant in the room, let's not talk about it because then the holiday is ruined, right? And I know you guys go through that stress. So many of you guys go through that stress that holidays you're like, oh boy, here we go again. I'm not allowed to talk about this. I'm not allowed to talk about this, this. Definitely not allowed to talk about Hillary. especially recently, right? I'm not allowed to do all these things, but here's the thing is that you need to acknowledge that, yes, you are not in agreement with sin, but it's not something that's that's all you talk about and how you condemn them. That's not where it goes. But they need to know that, no, this isn't okay. The sin that you're in is not okay. Living with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that's not okay. Doing these different drugs, getting wasted every night, you know, we're not in accordance with it. It's not okay to be doing these things. The holidays now, if you guys are silent about it, and I love this quote from this one uh, website I got. It said, holidays might be easier, but eternity won't be. Holidays might be easier, but eternity won't be. Just making sure that, yes, okay, they know where you stand. We should love to see our children, or we would love to. We'd love to see our children dress better maybe even pierce less, uh, get married before sex, be straight, vote conservative the next election. (laughs) Believe me, your kids know this too. They know that that's what you would ask of them. They know that that's where you guys would want them to go. But it's one of those things in being very careful in the conversation. 
and not driving them and having that grace with them. One of the things in, in uh, that website that you guys can go and check out is desiringgod.org. Um, and it's 12 ways to love your wayward child. And some of the things that they talked about there is just how to talk with them. Um, making sure that even in now, as, you, as your younger parents, setting up some type of a thing where you can go and sit down with your kid, like have them a, a scheduled lunch with them or a breakfast or something. So that way, if they do walk away from the Lord, you already have something scheduled. You already have something in their life. And so it's not this awkward, like, we should go to lunch sometime. And then <laughs> you kind of sit there and like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Because it's completely you know, polar opposites. Here's a person that's in the world, and here's a person that's all about Jesus, and how do you talk with them? But if you already have that established, it's easier to get into that. It's easier to have a conversation and to speak with your child. And that's one of the, the things that they had talked about doing. And just being careful about the things that are said and having a, a more encouragement than reproof. Still having that, but having more encouragement being proud of your children, trying to get involved in their interests, making sure that the things that they're now interested in, you go and be interested in. Now, it's not to the point of, well, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm interested in the bar. You want to come hang out with me? You know what I'm saying. It's not to those places where, or, you know, maybe I'm gay now, and so I'm going to have this gay parade. You want to come and walk with me to show you? You know, those are places where we know right away, okay, the thing is you're asking me to desert what I believe that God has asked me to do and where I stand with him. And I'm sorry, I cannot join you for that. But there's other little situations that you can go and support them in the new things that they found. And when you show your kid that support, it's not that you've deserted them and you want nothing to do with them. You're still going to be a part of their lives. It's that new parenthood, that, that parenthood of, of having that adult child that you now withdraw from them a little bit, but you still have that parent role in their life. There still is that responsibility. One of the things, too, in that prayer, and the, the, you know, these things that we talk about, is that we don't, we want to talk about these things, we want to make sure, but we cannot leave out Jesus. We have to take our, our children to him. And whatever you guys have to talk about or whatever, they know. I like one suggestion that said, just bombard their email with, with Bible verses. And it doesn't say that you need to come up with some great letter that's like super, you know, right to the point and, and has all the best facts down and all this. It said, just write up something and say, oh, I'm praying for you. And I want to give you this scripture. And it said that, you know, as you bombard their email or, or whatever with all these scriptures and it starts piling up, it says the word of God doesn't come back void, does it? And they have this pile of these scriptures that they can turn to, and you don't know what your kid's doing. There's those lonely times that they come to where they're by themselves, and it'd be so great if they just had some scriptures they could go and read and entertain themselves with instead of other things, right? We have to take our children to him, and we have to fight for them. In Nehemiah 4.14, Nehemiah 4.14 it says, and I looked and arose and I said to the nobles, the two leaders and the rest of the, chil- the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Such a cool scripture, isn't it? Especially for us men, because we love to fight. Well, maybe you women too. I mean, you know, there's, I'm sure there's some fights that happen, but... <laughs> We love to fight. We want to fight. We want to see our kids succeed. And so one of the things that we go through in prayer is we fight for our children. But knowing in Ephesians 6.12 that where the fight has to take place, right? Where does the fight take place? I mean, the verse says, it says, For we do not fight, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's what we're fighting at. And when you make the fight about your child and you make it very personal to them, I guarantee what's going to happen is they're not going to feel comfortable. They're going to walk away from that. Because what it's become is it's become a battle between you and them. And there's no longer this battle that you're showing them Jesus Christ. It becomes your standards against their standards. And your standards are old and from desert people. And everything else that the, the humanistic church, also known as a, as a university, the humanistic church has taught them. And so now you have these two different churches that are going at each other, and, and that's all they can see. They don't see Jesus Christ anymore in there. You have to make it about him. And it's going to be a spiritual warfare that's going to take place. It's going to be a battleground, and we're going to have to fight for our sons and daughters. Fight for them. That means being diligent and spending time in there. Getting into that prayer closet. When we leave that prayer closet, we leave with hope, and we go to look for our children's return, just as that father did. That guy was looking for him. He had that hope that remained there. In verse 20, And he rose and came to his father, but when he 
was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell at his neck and kissed him. And now we get to see inner and grace, the third point. The third and last point to pass through, to get through this heartbreak that you guys might be going through is God's grace. Wearsby, I like what he says here, and this is something that's pretty bold because it's something that we think of in a different view. And and when he said it, I was like, that is true. Okay. So it says, we are not saved by God's love. You're like, whoa, wait. We are not saved by God's love. God's God loves the whole world, and the whole world is not saved. We are saved by God's grace. And grace is love that pays a price. Grace is love that pays a price. If you think about that and having to deal with your kids, grace will have to pay a price. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be a, you know, we have to bite your tongue a lot. There's going to be different things and as you walk through that experience with them and just being careful, but you pour out that grace on your child, and that's what the father did. If you guys look at verse 21, it says, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And remember, he still had more to say, right? Because in the, in the verse 19, he says, And make me like one of your hired servants. His father cuts him off. He's like, boom. No more, son. We're having a party. <laughs> the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put the ring on his hand and the sandals on his feet. And what he does is he brings them right back into sonship. That ring, that was one of those things you guys you might have one from your high school or you know, when you guys won the Super Bowl. It shows you did something and you're a part of that crew, right? Back then it was you had a signet. You had your, your sign of which family you're with, especially with the wealthier. So it's so cool to see. Here comes this awesome robe. I mean, you gotta, this guy is dirty. Pretty nasty. He's a poor guy, right? Straight off the streets. He's, he's a Jewish boy that's been working with pigs. I mean, I don't know how much unclean you can get than that. And he's coming home, and his dad automatically, I want you to have your place again. And he brings him in in this grace, and he throws this grace over him and covers him. Gives him this robe. Calls him a son by putting that ring on him. Gives him something that's not going to hurt his feet anymore. And he brings him right in, and he's like, let's, let's have the best meal ever. Let's cook up a nice young steak, right? He brings him in and, and he shows this grace and just pours it out on his son. And what a cool thing that he does for his boy. Such a hard thing for us to do. We call out on the grace of God for our own lives because we do mess up all the time. But then with our children, we have such a hard time looking past it. We want to make sure, and the reason that we have a hard time looking past it is because we want to see it stop. And the way that we need to know that it needs to stop is we put our hand down firmly. So you better stop right now. Some of these ways that we've trained ourselves in being able to control our children, and the thing is, is especially as they get older and they go, go out of our home, all we can do is just fall back on that. Fall back on that grace, let God have his way with them, and always point them to Jesus Christ. Continually point them back to him. Be that good testimony in their lives. Such a hard thing to do because we want to see it stop, because we, want, we don't want to see him go through that pain. The things that we had to go through before we came to Jesus, we know how awful it was. I don't want to see my, my children go through any of that. I don't see I have to go through those things. And so, of course, I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm going to make sure they know they're not crossing that line while I'm in charge. And then they get out of the house, and all you've trained them is that here's where my foot stands, but guess what? Your foot doesn't extend outside the house. What we do is we come to them... We plead with them, we talk about Jesus Christ, we give them that relationship, we show them how to have that relationship. And when they leave the home, they have their own personal relationship going on with him. So when they do go against him, it's between them and God. It's not this fear they have to come home, and we can always retreat back to that when they come home. Always asking them, how is it going with Jesus? Well, I don't really believe in him anymore. And then you get to start back on the past. Okay, well, let's go through these things. Remember that one time when you prayed? And you ask God, show me this. And he did right away. You remember that? And you give them back their testimony that they had as you raised them up. And what a cool thing to be able to take them back through. And so we pour out that grace and we get to see, even as it goes on to conclude with this chapter, you know, he calls a servant or he gets that, he, he prepares this meal. And then all of a sudden the older boy shows up in verse 25 and, and he was out in the field. So he didn't know what was going on. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard the, the music going on and dancing, which just had to be probably like Mexico because you hear everybody's music when it goes off on Saturday, right? <laughs> you know, I'm talking about Ty. <laughs> it's like, don't get any sleep Saturday night. Just have some fun with the, with the neighbors, because you're going to hear everything. <laughs> so he called the servants, and he asked, what does this mean? What, what's going on? Why the party? Verse 27, he said to him, 
Your brother is coming because he's received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. And then instantly the brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. He went through a fit and he pouted. And it's so cool. Here again, we get to see the father. Because we could focus on the guy and be like, wow, what a jerk, you know. Uh, it's, it, we could go in what it represents is Israel and, and, you know, God bringing other people. But look at the father. The father, his pride. He doesn't have it. I mean, any other father would not walk out to his son and, and go and talk with him and plead with him. Most fathers would be like, you better get your rear end inside right now <laughs> and come and do what we're doing for your brother. I don't care how you feel about it. But instead, he goes out there and he meets him. He puts his pride down and he goes out and speaks with his son. And he tells him, why don't you come and join us? And he says he was angry and he pleaded with him. The father came out and pleaded with him. And you could just tell, he's like, you've got to be happy about this. Our, our, you know, my, your brother was dead. He was lost and he's been found. And so he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then here's the response of the father. He said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. You have an inheritance. Double. The oldest son always had double of what any other the kids had in the family. So double. You have everything that I have. It was right. And I love how the father says it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to pour out this grace on my son. He didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve any of this. He deserved a stern lecture when he got home. He deserved to be able to pay me back because if he's going to go waste it on all that, you know, other stuff in the world. There was all these things that you'd list off on the deserve. And, and I would ask you, how many things have you listed off in your own life with your own children and say, this is what they deserve, and I'm going to let them know it. These are the things I'm going to continually just hound them about because maybe they'll turn around someday. And that's not what happened here. This boy comes back, he pours out a grace, and he says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So we pour out our grace on our children, giving them what they do not deserve, just like our loving Father does with us. And he continues to do for us, right? What an awesome story that God gives us here, and you guys even take it in your own lives and see what God is doing for you. The grace that he pours out on you guys, the hope of your return if you guys are wayward, He's such a good father to us, and if we can just walk after that, and I hope you guys are encouraged in how to deal with those kids, and, and there's so many more things you could talk about and re reference. And I ask, the biggest thing is that you guys get together with other people that are going through the same thing. Because like we know in 1 Corinthians where it talks about us having that comfort for others because we've also had to go through those times. And it's such a nice thing to be able to sit down with them and be like, okay, here's what they're doing now, and not to sit around and be like, my kid's worse than yours. Get this. You know, <laughs> David won on that one already, all right? You can't get worse. <coughs> so I don't sit around doing that, but we encourage each other. Well, here's what I did, and here's where I got to see some hope come out. And he, here's what my child responded to. And just these, these things, and you guys know that each kid's going to be completely different. We all know that. Any of us that have more than one kid, your, ch your child will be different. The next one, and so there's certain ways that you deal with that. The same goes across all the families. There's certain ways and there's certain different things that you deal with each one of those families. But get together, guys. That's why we have a fellowship. That's why we do this is so that we can pray with each other, we can encourage each other. And Lord, we just want to thank you for this morning. And just thank you for the things that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And Lord, we just want to worship you for... You're, you're such a good and loving Father to us. And... Uh, we praise what you've done in our own lives, Lord, as you've taken us out of these horrible situations and those times that we've been with those pigs and feeding them and even looking at the pig food thinking it would be delicious. What a, what a bad place, Lord, that we've gone, and, and yet you had hope. You waited out there for us, and as soon as we came home, you went running to us, Lord. Such a neat picture of what's happened, Lord, and I, I ask that you just give encouragement to these parents out there that, that are having to go through these very rough times. These, these heartbreaking times, Lord, that you would just pour out your comfort on them and pour out that love that they're asking for and that assurance that they're asking for, Lord. Give them the wisdom that they need in dealing with their children, especially when they're together with them in holidays and, and you know, even if their child's moved back in with them, Lord. Just in how to deal with them, how they can encourage them. And um, just remember that you're the one that needs to be focused on. That all the actions that are happening, all the things that they've dipped into or, or become consumed with, Lord, are just byproducts of not having you in their life. 
So Lord, just teach us and, and show us exactly what you want us to be doing. Give us that wisdom that we desire and like what you ask us to ask for in James. And it says you're going to give it to us, Lord, so we just rely on your promises. Lord, we want to fight for our children, just like what Nehemiah says. We want to fight for our sons and daughters. We ask you to give us the strength to do that, Lord, and just that we remember it. And uh, just thank you, Lord. We praise you. You're such a good God to us. We thank you for your scripture and what you teach us, Lord. Let me just pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.